Amen. Let me tell you one of the keys. I won't say secrets, but one of the keys. And there are others. But one of the main keys to living an overcoming, victorious life for Christ in a world of chaos and trouble and pressures and problems is remembering how great the God is that we serve. In fact, the question is asked, is there anything too hard or difficult for my God? And the answer is absolutely no. Now I'm going to test your memory. I gave you a test a year or so ago, and I'm going to have a refresher course on it tonight. Are you one of those people, careful, are you one of those people that believes that God can do anything? I used to be. But I'm not anymore. We mean what? Let me clarify that. Scripture says God cannot lie and he cannot fail. Come on, that ought to light your fire. Other than that, he can do anything. And it's important that we remember how great God is. I don't know about you. I mean, I look at some of you, it's like that deer in the headlight look out there like. <laughs> I have to fight to live an overcoming life. Do you? Yes. Serving God, contrary to the picture some would try to paint, and they're lying when they do, it's not easy. It's not easy to crucify your flesh and to deny yourself. It starts right there. It's an ongoing, everyday thing that I must decrease so that he can increase. And that's not easy to do. It takes effort. It takes focus. It takes commitment. It takes spending time with God in prayer and communication and meditation and the study of his word. It takes time of being still and being quiet. So that the spirit of God, the voice of God can speak to you, encourage you sustain you uplift you because if we don't get all of those things we'll become a defeated foe and God has not intended for us to be the victims but the victors too many Christians are going through life being the devil's punching bag and we're going to get sucker punched from time to time that's just the way that the devil works he's a coward he is a coward He's more subtle than any beast of the field. He lays traps and tricks and he tries to deceive you. He tries to slip up on your blind side. He tries to lie to you. Say amen, sonny. Am I the only one that he tries all that stuff on? I don't like him. He's a coward. He don't fight fair, but that's okay. Neither does the Lord. Because <laughs> by and when we're filled with His Spirit, He gives us discernment. And there will be an ambush, there will be a trap, there will be a trick coming in. The voice of God can speak to you when you're in relationship with Him that goes, Be careful. Look out. Be on guard. And if you'll listen to the voice of God, you won't fall victim or prey 
to what the devil has intended. Now tonight I want to share a word with you. And Dustin, I believe you heard the Lord on that song. I had no idea what he was going to sing. He had no idea what I was going to preach. I had no idea what I was going to No, I really did tonight. I want to preach to you out of the book of Matthew. And we'll be in chapter 15. But it seemingly over the last few months, God has been giving me more and more messages of encouragement. To give you encouragement. And I believe it's for this reason. That in the end time... Word, the word says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. It's like a tightening of a vice. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The devil is trying to shake you. He's trying to sift you as wheat. He's trying to shake your relationships, your marriages, your businesses, through your children. He's trying to shake and upset the apple cart of everything going on in our lives. Why? Because he's the tormentor and he's the deceiver. And he's on a mission of stealing and killing and destroying. That's his mission. That's why he's here. And he's had a lot of years to get good at it. And it's important that we, as Christians, remember how great our God is. Now before we begin in chapter 15, I want to rehearse chapter 14 for you for just a moment just a reminder John the Baptist has just been beheaded the disciples go to tell Jesus of John's death Jesus hurting from the news remember that John is Jesus' first cousin so he's hurting from the news that his cousin has been decapitated his head has been severed from his body and he goes and he gets in a boat and just kind of wants to drift away and be alone for a moment. But there's a crowd of people that follow him. They gather on the shore and they begin to follow him as the boat drifts out into the water and they begin to move along the, the shoreline. And when Jesus comes back to shore, he, he heals some people. And then you're familiar with the story how he fed 5,000 men and plus the women and children. <clears throat> And then in Matthew's account, Jesus tells his disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side and that he'll meet them over there. About the third watch of the night, Jesus comes walking on the water in the middle of a storm. And of course, Peter, he's wanting out of the boat. He's wanting to be anywhere but out there in that boat on that storm. And he says, makes a statement that, Master, if it's really you, Bid that I come. Well, Jesus is not going to lie and deny that it's him. So he just says, it's me. Come. Peter steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. You're familiar with that story. Until what? Till he took his eyes off of Jesus. Till he began to pay more attention to the size of the waves and the roaring of the wind. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and Scripture says he began to sink. And as he began to sink, he cried out, Master, save me. What does Jesus do? Reached down, took him by the hand. What did he do with him? Put him right back in the boat where he was supposed to be in the first place. He was in the boat 
doing what Jesus had said, going to the other side. And Matthew's account makes this a statement, this statement. And I had preached it for many years and not seen this until a few years ago. And it says, Jesus came walking on, during the third watch of the night and would have passed them by. And that struck me. Would have passed them by. Was he not concerned that they're in this storm and this dilemma? Wasn't there fear that they might sink and capsize? No. They were in the center of his will doing exactly what he'd said. And he had no doubt that they were going to arrive at the other side. Now the rowing had gotten tough because the wind was blowing and they was going to have to row a little harder and row a little longer. But if they'll keep rowing, stay in the boat, stay in the purposes, stay in the center of God's will, they'll get to the other side. The hello. You understand what I'm saying? You may be in some storms tonight. And the rowing may be tough. But if you'll keep rowing, Stay in the boat. Don't get out of the boat. You don't have no business out there in that rough water. Stay in the boat. So that some of you cowboys will understand it. Keep spurring. Keep his head in the middle. He'll quit bucking. So, he puts him back in the boat. Then he gets to the land. He heals more people. Now start paying attention. We get to chapter 15, and right off the bat, Jesus encounters some religious folks. People that are steeped in religion. And they're all upset and they're bent out of shape because his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat bread. Think about that a minute. Sounds like a lot of churches in America today, don't it? You're sitting in my seat. I don't like that song. Music's too loud, too loud, too loud, too loud. You know what? Have a right spirit. If the music's too loud, let me know. I'll get you some cotton or some swimmer's wax or something like that. We want you comfortable. We want to give you a blessing, not a blasting. But I understand some people have more sensitive ears than others. Me, I'm so hard of hearing. You've got to crank it up, baby, or I can't hear it at all. So what I'm trying to say is if it's a little too cold in here for you sometime, fuss it, Duke. No, I mean, let us know and... We'll bring you a jacket or we've got blankets around here. My point is simply this. Let's keep our focus right. Let's keep our heart right. Let's keep our spirit right. Let's keep our motives right about worshiping God together. Let's keep our, 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 our focus and our attention upon Him. Let's don't become religious. Let's become relational this way and this way. So... After he deals with those scabs and parasites, and I mean scribes and Pharisees, he cast a demon out of a Canaanite woman's daughter. And then we pick up in verse 29, where it says, Jesus departed from there and skirted the Sea of Galilee and went up on the mountain and he sat down there. 
Then great multitudes came to him, having with them lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking and the maimed made whole, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself, and he said, I have had compassion on this multitude. Because they have now continued with me three days and have had nothing to eat. Man, if we stay in church more than an hour, people start getting antsy. <laughs> me too. But they've been with him three days and he says they've had nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? And Jesus said unto them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks. Broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets full of their fragments that were left. Now those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children and he sent away the multitude got into the boat and he came to the region of Magdala because so many of us are going through storms at this moment this is not original to me but I found it to be true though saying that you're either coming out of a storm you're in a storm or about to go in a storm keep in mind that scripture gives us a bulletin a warning that while you're in this world, you shall have tribulations, but be of good cheer, for he's overcome the world. I want you to understand that Christians are not exempt from pressures and trials and problems and circumstance and situation and unforeseen things that just blindside you. We're not exempt from that, but I want you to understand as we focus upon the greatness of the God that we serve and stay in the boating. Look to him, the author and the what finisher of our faith. He will finish. If we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. He will, with every temptation the devil brings, make a way of escape. There shall not anything overcome his children as long as they fight the fight of faith. Did you know the fight of faith is undefeated? When you're walking in true faith and you're fighting with God's word and you're trusting in the Lord with all of your might, all of your strength, when you're looking to Him, not man, not self, not money, not things, not stuff, not wood, hay, and stubble, when you're looking to God who is the source of power, Matthew 28, remember Jesus said these words, I love them, I quote them all the time because it just fires me up and it says, all power in heaven and earth is mine. Not some power, not limited power, not occasional power, but all power. The power over sickness and sin and disease and death. The power over every force or influence of the spirit, the pit of hell. The power that's necessary to bring forth the victory that's needed in your life. 
the power that's there to give you peace in the middle of the storm. They woke him up. Remember in one, one of the stories, he's asleep in the front of the boat. I forget if that's the bow or the stern, but he's in the front of the boat. And they go to him and wake him up and said, Master, don't you care that we're about to perish? See, they were worried. They were looking at the storms instead of looking to him. And he stood up and what did he do? He rebuked the wind and the waves and he said, Peace, be still. And there was a great calm that came. I want you to know he is the Prince of Peace. And he still speaks peace in the middle of your storms and in the middle of your adversities. If you'll listen to him, if you'll draw nigh unto him, he will draw nigh unto you. I want to glean a few things from this passage of Scripture that we just ran. And the first thing I want to call to your attention is in verse 32 where Jesus, there's no need that's so common and ordinary that he isn't concerned with. What's he concerned with there in verse 32? These folks are hungry. They've been here for three days. They're hungry. Don't think that you're bothering the Lord when you come to him with Common everyday needs. Common everyday issues. Common everyday problems. Don't think that you're bothering him. You're not because he's concerned about that common need in your life. These people are hungry and they're exhausted. Secondly, in verse 33... I see where there's no place that's so desolate that Jesus can't transform it. They're out in the wilderness on a mountainside and what do his disciples say? To use today's vernacular, it'd be something like this. Where the heck are we going to get enough food to feed these idiots? They ain't a Walmart down the street. There's not a Sam's. They're in the middle of a wilderness. And I want you to remember this God, this great God that we serve, no matter where you're at, no matter how desolate it appears, no matter how wilderness it is, no matter how seemingly impossible it appears, He can transform it. Thirdly, and I'll close in verse 37 and 38, there's no task too large that he can't perform it. Here he feeds 4,000 men plus women and children. And they take up more than they started out with. I want to encourage you tonight. And when people aren't around to encourage you to trust God, it says in Samuel that you need to encourage yourself in the Lord. Get out of this brow-beaten, pity party, woe is me line of thinking that the devil wants you to have. And let me just time out right here. I found that, that some people, they like to be there. They like to have pity parties. Seriously. I don't know all of the reasons why. But some of them is they feel like that's the only way they can get somebody's attention. Let me tell you what. 
you'll have a whole lot more people's attention if you're the light of the world that walks into darkness and dispels darkness. If you walk in with that can-do mentality, that assurance of God in you, when you bring peace into the room, when you walk in, when you speak hope, when you live a life of example before people that when they see your life, they know you've been in the presence of God. Get out of this woe is me and go great is he. Get to a place that we proclaim his goodness. I want you to understand something. The fields are truly white under harvest and God's word says this. Don't miss this. You want to be an effective witness for God? Here's his word. It's the goodness of God that causes men to repentance. Man, when they see the goodness of God working in you, through you, for you, they want what you got. Quit being browbeaten and beat down. God wants you to proclaim His goodness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I want you to understand God's Word says that if we don't praise Him, the rocks will. Come on up, Nathaniel. I want you to understand something. The Scripture says that God inhabits what? The praises of His people. You won't be in God's presence? Get to praising Him. He'll show up and He'll show out. Every time He shows up, He shows out. Great things are done. Simple word tonight. Bow your heads. I'm done.